0: Prayer is not wishful thinking aimed in God's direction. Prayer is not just about aligning your will with God's. At times, God has determined the way that he would change his mind or the way that he would change the course of action that he set out to do is through the prayers of his people. And had people not prayed, God would not have worked.
1: Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with John Onwachekwa. John serves as pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and a council member of the Gospel Coalition. He's also the author of Prayer How Praying Together Shapes the Church with Crossway. Today, John and I discuss what it means to have a real relationship with God through prayer. He shares about the day he received a phone call letting him know that his older brother had just died unexpectedly, and the impact that news had on his prayer life, ultimately leading him into a new level of honesty and deeper intimacy with God. He talks about what to do when we feel guilty about our prayer life, and why prayer is intensely practical even when it seems like we're just sitting still and not being as productive. Let's get started. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us on the Crossway Podcast today.
0: Oh, uh, glad to be here, man. It's an honor.
1: So a few years back, just before you planted your church, uh, something pretty dramatic happened in your life. Uh, what What was that?
0: Yeah, um, it was six weeks before church started, and I was at a conference, and I got a phone call that my older brother died Suddenly, 32 years old, in good health, some of the best, he he was in the best shape of his life, and it's kind of one minute he was here, and the next he was gone, and that news just was unexpected, and it totally wrecked me.
1: Do you remember, like, your initial thoughts about God upon hearing that and kind of trying to work through what had just happened?
0: Not to be sacrilegious, but it's like in the moment, God wasn't kind of in the picture of my mind, right? It was like, I had my mom and like me, and then you know his wife, you know, hmm. CJ and the kids and just life. And I right, now I've got to call my parents, my brothers and sisters. And so it was, yeah, just kind of all of that stuff, but, but in the days and the months to like come, all the things that I thought that I knew and believed were just kind of questioned. And Mm. and, and it was all thrown upside down. You know, the best way I can describe it is C.S. Lewis writes about, you know, the death of his wife. And one of the things that he talks about is what one thing that death does to us is it um, takes the temple that we think is our faith, and it shows us that our faith really at any point in time is nothing more than a house of cards, right? It just crumbled. So that's kind of what I saw, what I felt, like this strong faith that I thought that I had, this faith that I thought that I was ready to impart to a bunch of people that uh, we were getting ready to start this church with. I just felt it all and crumble.
1: Was there a a time when you felt like, walking away from the church plant and and pastoral ministry, even
0: as a whole? I don't know. Like there was a time just where I just felt like, well, yeah. I mean, daily, it wasn't like I had like thoughts about, all right, what do I do about the like church? It was just getting up each morning and just like, I don't want to get up. Right. So it's like a, man, I want to stay in bed, but No, it's like, man, I don't want to get up out of bed. But then it's like, but I don't want to stay in bed either. Mm, Right. mm. So, you know, I don't want to like face the world, but man, whenever I turn my face down towards the pillow, you know, I just think of him and I see him. And so it was just kind of this perpetual discontentment wherever I was. And I just felt like I wanted to get away just from life. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in your book, you write that pain felt like a truth serum that forced me to confess all of my unworthy thoughts of God. And at one point, you actually called him a liar. Uh, As you think back on that time of your life, and and that, I I can't imagine how painful that season must have been. What do you think about how you were thinking about God and how you were relating to God?
0: It's twofold. Like, the ways that I thought about him were erroneous right false wrong right mm-hmm. the fact that I thought that he lied that he uh, that I felt that he didn't care about me that he wasn't good like he said he was that he was like cruel right those things were false in the way that I thought was wrong but I felt like the way that I related to him couldn't have been more right because it was like all of those those doubts that I had about God though they were doubts they um, kind of laid the groundwork for me to have a consistency of dialogue with him that I didn't have prior to right So the thoughts that I thought were wrong and the relationship was filled with you know accusations and frustrations and angry words but it was a relationship that was filled with words right so, it, there was a relationship, I think that was being cultivated where prior to, um, though, I think the thoughts that I had of him were right, or at least right in my estimation, the relationship was filled with silence. There just weren't many um, words. And so in one standpoint, it's a, yeah, you know, I kind of look back, not on the sequence of events, what brought that time about, but I do look back. On that time, I think, like we all do, uh, we look back on some hard times when we get close to God with, with a little bit of fondness. In that, even though the feelings and the thoughts are wrong, hmm. there's a peace that comes with. Oh, I'm relating to God, and He's relating back. I got a better sense of what we mean when we say things like you know christianity is not a religion it's a relationship that mm. there was lots of relating that went on
1: mm. yeah that's so interesting the, the way that distinction between you know acknowledging that some of your thoughts about god and your accusations against god were not right so it's not just right. about being it's not like we can do no wrong in our prayers uh, but right. there is a sense in which you were being more honest and more yeah truly thinking of god in terms of a relationship than maybe you had before is that is that what you're saying yeah 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 why do you think it is that we can all of us i'm sure resonate with what you're saying um but wh- why do you think it is that it can be so hard for us to when we approach god in prayer to approach him like a real person like a real person who's listening to us and cares about us and has his own Thoughts about things that are going on in our lives. Why is that such a hard thing for us to do in everyday life?
0: So I think for most of us and I would guess I guess most of the people that would listen or have access on a podcast and all this stuff uh, we like our everyday lives are relatively comfortable, right right? and prosperity just has a way like prosperity is like an anesthesia, like it it, it just kind of numbs us to the reality of the broken world that we live in. And that one day, you know, the brokenness of the world is going to like break in to our lives and it's going to break us. And um, so I don't think we use our everyday lives to prepare for those points. We kind of use our everyday lives. And all right, as long as things are fine, all right, that's good. We may thank God for the fact that things are fine, but the prosperity kind of just leads us to, oh, all right, now I can go about my business of trying to either enjoy my life or make the life that I have better. Mm. And and when those are our North stars, I think yeah, there's very little time for a God or a King that, um, it wants to direct the course of our lives. And when we think that we're, we're already sure the destination that we want to head, then it's just that when life is good, we just really feel like we don't have any need Mm. for God. And I think, yeah, that's the, no, that's the thing that God warns Israel about in Deuteronomy, right? Hey, 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 y'all! when things go well, like, don't forget me. Mm. Um, Yeah. And I think that we, tend to forget him. And he often has to use tragedy to like wake us up out of that numbness. Hmm. That's
1: so good. When it comes to prayer, uh, I think it's safe to say that one of the first things that many of us feel is, maybe it's like the first thought that comes into our minds when we think of prayer is I'm not praying enough. Right. We, yeah. we feel this like persistent, almost like a low grade guilt I just wanted to to know, like, do you struggle with that at all? Do you feel that in your own life?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're like, we're just so prone to, um, create these like laws for ourselves, these like rules and standards and rubrics. So when we hear about things that we should do or things that God calls us to do, um, yeah, we, we can just kind of fall into the pattern of you know trying to justify ourselves by how well that we do do those things. And so I feel it. I think everybody that's honest feels it because we know how often we um forsake prayer for so many other things. And um, yeah, but but that's why I love like scripture and Jesus and what he does for us because, man, you go through the Bible and what you're going to find is like you would expect that for all of us that feel that way on the inside, that when the Bible comes to instructions about prayer, it's constantly going to like guilt us and just kind of tap into that guilt and shame that we feel. But there's almost nowhere in the Bible um, where prayer is mentioned and the big lesson behind it is that you don't pray enough and you should pray more you like you should be ashamed of yourself Mm. almost everywhere that christ talks about prayer um he's always gracious and he pairs it with an incentive right so so when prayer is brought up it's never like here's an obligation that you have and you are failing to do this obligation. So do more. But when prayer is mentioned, mention, it's always tied to an outcome, right? No, no, look, this is an outcome. Yo, I, 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 I know you want peace. Look, there's peace that surpasses all understanding and it comes through prayer. No, look, look, no, look, you're forfeiting your peace by not praying. Mm. Um, so I think the Bible is always going to, kind of draw us in. It's trying to pull us in towards prayer, not like push us. Bad guy, bad job, pray more. It's saying, nah, look at what you're missing. And it's here right now. Pray.
1: It's so interesting because I, I think about my own life and I've heard this from other people that I think one of the temptations to not pray is that sometimes it feels Uh, like it doesn't really accomplish as much. It's not as practical as going and doing something, and uh, whether that's in your own personal life and trying to figure out a a problem in your life, or even in the context of of a church uh, where we can sometimes push aside prayer, not really spend the time, whether as a whole church or as maybe church leaders or elders— uh, we can focus more on actually trying to do things ourselves. But it's interesting because you're saying that scripture, when it portrays prayer, it often is portraying it in a very results-oriented way. Like there is a yeah. a real practical reason to pray.
0: Yes, and and it accomplishes something better than what you do on your own, and it accomplishes something that you don't get even after you practically accomplish all that you hope to. And so here's what I mean. Hmm. Um, Sometimes we don't pray because we're like, ah, I've got to be productive. I've got to get stuff done. But we know the feeling of not praying, being productive, getting done what we need done. And then it falls apart or it doesn't work like we hoped that it would, or we go to bed at night anxious that things will stay that way. So even though we're productive, uh, what we find out is that our productivity doesn't bring us peace, right? Peace is what we want. So prayer, I think what that does is prayer brings us the peace that we want. So now when we pray and we ask for for God to bless his work, we pray and ask for God to save somebody and we go out and evangelize and share our faith. Now what takes place is uh, when we've prayed about that, then we can go home and Sit in peace. All right, God, I've done my job like you work. Hudson Taylor says, you know, when man works, man works. But when man prays, God works. Um, And I think it's one thing to spend a day sharing your faith, not praying. And then you come home and you feel like, did I say all the right things? Did it work? I really hope that it worked. And you think about all this stuff that you did. It's another thing to be involved in the same activity, but for it to be bathed in prayer. now you come home and it's now there's peace like, oh, all right, I did what I did. And now the rest is God's God. Take it. And when I feel that anxiety start to creep up the way that I get rid of it. It's not by trying to go out and to work and to do more. Because the more work that I do, the more I have to worry about. But the way that I get rid of that is I say, all right, God, I've worked. I've done all that I can. You've got to work.
1: We often misunderstand prayer. And even even as Christians in the church, obviously non-Christians often have certain conceptions of prayer that aren't aren't biblical. Uh, but I, I wonder if this is a little bit more uh, fun. Complete this sentence in as many ways as you can. So the sentence would start, prayer is not
0: blank. Prayer is not waking God up from off his throne to pay attention to what you have going on in your life. Prayer is not twisting God's arm to get him to do what you want. Prayer is not wishful thinking aimed in God's direction. Prayer is not merely therapeutically talking to a God that won't change things in order just to calm you down and to give you peace. Prayer is not just about aligning, right, your will with God's. Um, and that I think sometimes folks, they're well-intentioned, but I think they're misguided when they say things. Like prayer isn't about getting God to change his mind or getting God to do things. Prayer is about trying to make sure you align God's will uh, or your will with God's. And I Mm. think, uh, I don't think that's completely true. I think it's half truth. Um, Yeah, I, I think that if you read your Bible, you see at times that God has determined the way that he would change his mind or the way that he would change the course of action that he set out to do is through the prayers of his people. And had people not prayed, God would not have worked. So, yeah.
1: So one of the main things that you are trying to help help us Christians to see in your book is just the importance of prayer in the context of the local church and the, the, the corporate worship even of the church. How does your church uh, prioritize prayer in terms of your kind of weekly life together as a body what does it look like to prioritize prayer
0: Matt this is uh one thing I mean that we are you know we're four years in in the life of our church and we I feel like now we're just starting to get how it needs to change so I'm going to tell you all the stuff that I talked about and I wrote in the book and then I'm going to tell you how I think a lot of that stuff may fall short and a Mm. shift that needs to be made so um They've been systematic things that we put into Life of our Church, right? So, on Sunday when we come to gather to worship, uh, we spend a significant amount of time—probably uh, ten to fifteen minutes—sprinkled throughout our ch- church service, praying. So we'll do, you know, a, a prayer of praise and adoration at the front end, right? So prayer is its own thing. It's not just a transition for the praise team to come on and off the stage. It's we start and we praise. It's just this extended meditation, praising God for being who he is. And, uh, we'll sing some songs, we'll read from God's word, and then we'll have a prayer of confession where we are together confessing our sins. Somebody up front leads us, and the goal is that everybody in the church would be able to sit, pray along with them, and be able to chime in and say, me too, yeah man, I didn't have the words to pray that. I, I didn't know that was sin. I didn't know that God disliked that. But but uh, but as they hear it, they join in and say, me too, me too. And then as the assurance of pardon comes out and we read from God's word of First John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that people that are sitting in the church can say, me too. Yo, I just confessed my sin. So this is true about me um we'll take some time and after the announcements we'll probably have an extended time, right? It can go anywhere from five to seven minutes and it is just this pastoral prayer or prayer of petition where we're thanking God for him being good and we're asking him to continue to be good in our church, in our community, in our nation, in our families, in our friendships, in our world. And we'll just pray these Uh, long, big, bold prayers. We ask God for things. So the first systematic thing that we do is whenever we gather as a church, we pray and prayer is its own thing. Um, We also, once a month as a church, what we've done is uh, we have a prayer meeting. You know, the first Wednesday night of each month for an hour, we come in and we talk briefly about the things we want to pray about. And we spend most of the hour praying, just asking God to continue to be um, good to us. And so we just try to weave that in systematically into the life of um, our church. And for four years, I felt like it's been great. It's been awesome. I think folks come and they're part of the church and they'll say things like, I really loved it. This is a praying church. I love how much that we pray. Um, And just recently, I think it's hit me that um, if the only ways that kind of prayer is starting to be massaged into the life of our church is through those systematic things, then I don't know if we're as much of a praying church as I would like to be, right? I think there's a difference between things being systematic and things being systemic, right? Mm. When it's systemic, It doesn't need a formal structure. It just kind of breathes on its own. And regardless of what changes, there's still this, like, um, right, there's just something that permeates the culture of our church. So structural things that we've put in place are great training wheels. They're, They're great first steps. Those are the baselines. And now we're just starting to work through, all right, how do we build on all of those baselines? So. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So maybe there's someone listening who is a small group leader or they lead a, a Sunday school class or something like that. What kind of advice would you offer to that person related to leading a group in prayer together?
0: I was taught to teach the Bible with the goal of application, right? So that the end of what you preach is, right? Like you're not ready to preach, teach, or lead until you can answer two questions, right? So what? What does this have to do with my life? And now what? Now what do I need to do in light of this? Um, I'm starting to labor now to just kind of have in my mind, all right, the end of my teaching, I think it does need to be application because God's word does need to be applied, but I think the end of my application, what should come at the end is supplication, ask God more, depend on him, greater, trust him more to do the things that you've called him to do. And so um, I'd say if you're leading a small group or teaching, somehow kind of there's this unwritten rule, like, you know, you pray at the start, I right, teach for as long as you need to, to do, and when you pray, then that means that you have to close things. And it's not like a, like there's something powerful that can take places if you get to a part uh, that you're trying to teach or lead through. And it's tricky and it's hard or it's emotional to just say, hey, we're getting ready to step here. Let's take some time and pray that as we move on, that God would continue to guide us. And you just kind of shatter the boxes that folks have confined prayer to. And now it turns into this, oh, this is not just a formality, uh, but we have this full and free access to God uh, because we like frequently need to come back to him. And we're free to do that as many times as we want. Right? It's not a ticket at a carnival, right? All right. Yeah, you, know, you can use it one time, like continue to yeah, use it.
1: Yeah, it strikes me as some of the some of the things we've talked about today all sort of hit on that idea that we we have these preconceived ideas about prayer. We have these um sort of rituals with how we pray, which aren't necessarily bad, but like they they often limit how we think about prayer, like what we can say to God. How often we can say it, when we can say it, what, how it fits with other things that we might be doing, and we really do. It feels like we put limits on our prayer, which is maybe actually, you know, that's that's hurting us ultimately.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was just with a guy today, and um, so, you know, we talk about the uh, John passage, what Christ is like. You know, you know, whatever you ask about, like ask for whatever. And whatever you ask in my name, and he, he just speaks to, you know, how merciful God's going to be in the reply. Um, and we know that there are conditions to that. But as Jesus says those things, he doesn't put the conditions on it, right? Um, and so I think there's something powerful uh, about speaking and saying those things and coming into prayer like full stop, um, praying and asking for things and letting the providence of God and the way that he answers those prayers uh, put the conditions on kind of what he'll do or what he won't do. And I, I think we need to, to remind folks, no, listen, uh, this does not mean that God's going to say yes to all that you pray for, but it does mean that everything that you pray for God's going to give a merciful reply. And if you knew everything that he knew uh, and you were as good as he was, then with every answered prayer, um, you would agree with the answer. And so yeah, pray, be bold, pray for impossible things and trust that God's going to be the one that guides these answers towards the most merciful and beneficial outcome for you, your soul, and the people that you're praying for. That's the promise, that's the incentive that he wants to use to draw us in.
1: And John, thank you so much for taking some time today to to speak with us and to share not only a little bit of your own personal story and discovery of, of a deeper experience of prayer to God, but also just how your church thinks about these issues and how you are seeking to lead them uh, in this.
0: Yeah, thanks, Matt.
1: That was John Anwachekwa on prayer and the life of the Christian. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.